wonderful seeing you here. I never say no to Sean. <laughs> it's true. She has not yet said no. <laughs> we'll see. One of these days, <laughs> she will. All right. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open them to Genesis chapter 11. And if you don't have your Bible, it should be behind me on the screen. And we're going to do verses 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. May God bless the reading of his word. Um, so if you remember last chapter, we were kind of dealing with uh, the genealogy of the sons of Noah. And it was a long chapter, and we went over all these names that were fun to pronounce. But after each one, after each set of genealogies, it always came down to uh, these were their people groups with their own language. And so the question that should have arisen in our heads were, how did these people groups come about? If they were all from the same family tree, shouldn't they all have the same language and shouldn't they all be the same people group? Well, if you've noticed so far in Genesis at all, um, whenever we have a new Talada, whenever we have a new, these are the generations of, it usually has the generations and then a story. So uh, Noah was that way. He was, um, when it comes to Seth's line, it went all the way to Noah, his story, and then it ended with Noah's death. So it is here. Um, We see the sons of uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and ultimately we see, okay, a story about what happened. So let's go ahead and read uh, all of these together again and see what it is that's happening. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The first verse of chapter 11 deals with the state of humanity at the time. We find that the whole earth had one language and the same words. In this, we understand it to mean that the inhabitants of the earth all spoke the same language. If we take what occurred in the previous chapters into account, this would make perfect sense then. All the people would be descendants of Noah, and as such, we can assume that he and his sons all spoke the same language together. Otherwise, it would have been really awkward on the ark. That was ad-libbed. So that is the first thing we learned about the people. The second thing we learn is that they migrated from the east, or to the east, um, and settled on a plain in the land of Shinar, 
When it comes to migrating east, we have seen this frequently within Genesis. We find in the Garden of Eden is the east of Eden. Uh, We also find Adam and Eve going east from the garden. We find Cain going farther east after he murdered Abel. Ultimately, though, when it comes to the land of Shinar, most conclude that it is in Babylonia, which was a large area of Mesopotamia. And I have a map real quick, Betsy, if you don't mind throwing it up. Um, This is actually the same map we saw two weeks ago. But basically, we're looking at right in this area would have been where Nimrod was, and Nimrod was the one who started Babel. So that's the area that we're looking at. They went toward there. Um, where exactly Shinar is in that area, we can't be sure. Um, but we're assuming, though, that Babel actually was the foundation for the city of Babylon later on. So that's just the idea of, okay, this is the area where they were at. Um, now, this area in Mesopotamia is often called the cradle of civilization, as many of the earliest civilizations are found in this area from the ancient Babylonians, the Akkadians, the Assyrians, just to name a few, the, Peds, uh, the Medes, the Persians, things like that. So it is in this area that many have concluded the land of Shinar is located. Now, once they settle in the area, then they have a thought. In particular, they say to one another... Um, This speaking to one another reminds us of how they all had the same language. And what is it that they said, though, to each other? Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. It is interesting to consider this. As in ancient Mesopotamia, this was the standard way for them to build structures. It also points to further evidence that this story is an ancient story in specifically dealing what would have been used during the time period. To further the point, we are told that they had this brick for stone and bitumen for mortar, whereas in ancient Israel, stone was used for the building. In Mesopotamia, bricks were used, and we have archaeological evidence for all of this. So far in the story, though, nothing is too radical. There is nothing wrong with building, nothing wrong with the invention of brick making. Uh, The problem comes in verse 4 when they speak again to one another. It is then that they decide that they want to build a city and a tower with its tops to the heavens. The city is a way of security. Once they have settled and built the city, then that means they no longer need to leave the city. Which is exactly what we find in the final statement when they say, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The tower also causes us pause. First with its top in the heavens and second with making a name for ourselves. When it comes to the top in the heavens, this is reminiscent of ancient Mesopotamian buildings, uh, such as a ziggurat, which they were built with religious purposes to reach the heavens. Likewise, we do have evidence of certain structures in ancient mythology which were built for the purpose of reaching the heavens. A good example is that ancient ziggurat building in the area, which looks like something like this. Um, And if you notice, it has different tiers. And ultimately, it's all trying to get higher and higher and higher up in order to get to that point where they can say, ah, look, we've reached heaven. In this way, we see two things about these people. The first is that they are blatantly disobedient with their command for the cultural mandate. God called them to subdue the whole earth, to spread out, to inhabit all the land. But as it is, they decide to stay in one spot, not wanting to move. The second thing is that they are, again, trying to attain what is unattainable by reaching heaven through earthly means. This is similar to what we find in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 6. 
In Genesis 3, it was the temptation to be like God through eating the fruit of the forbidden tree. In Genesis 6, we saw how they were procreating with these spiritual beings with a similar goal and purpose for power to make their own names great. Thus, the concept of the tower and the city are the same as we've seen throughout Genesis. They're breaking God's command through their own hubris and their pride. Now, this leads us to verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Most scholars note that verse 5 is the turning point in the story. They also notice the sarcasm and almost the great irony over what is occurring. Though they attempted to reach up to the highest heights of heaven, in the end God has to come down in order to even see the city and the tower. Um, Thus, in a tongue-in-cheek kind of a way, we find that all their striving is for naught, as it doesn't even come close to the lowest point of heaven. This is further established as that which the children of man built. Thus, despite what they think is great in their own eyes, in the end it is nothing more to be seen than that which is made by mortal hands. And as such, it will depart when they depart. Now, verses 6 through 9. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what, will be, what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them over the, whole, uh, over the face of the whole, all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So verses 1 through 4 deal with the first half of the chiasm, so to speak. Uh, Actually it is. With verse 5, the middle point. Verses 6 through 9 now form the second half of the chiasm, going back in the opposite direction from which we've come. First God deals with what he is seeing, which is what they've accomplished in verse 4. Um, Now, when we read the text, we might wonder if what they accomplished wasn't something impressive. They are one people, one language, and ultimately God recognizes that as they are brought together, this minor feat is just that, just a minor feat. If left unchecked, they will continue to do other things, greater things in their minds. But as you remember, their goals were achieved in their own minds. They wanted to make a name for themselves, and they wanted to have security So before we assume that they actually reach the heavens, the point God is reflecting on is their pride. God recognizes that this accomplishment will only lead to more pride, more hubris, more vanity, where their focus is only on themselves. So it is, God speaks similarly to how uh, he spoke in Genesis 1-2. through There we reflect how God said, let us make man in our own image. And then we discuss what it meant for the plural of let us means. Does it mean God talking to the Trinity or the divine council or angels? Well, we're still unsure, though it all makes sense in the context of the scriptures. Ultimately, God's decree is the same. It is not the council or angels or um, others who make the decree against humanity, but God alone. As such... Even if the divine counsel or angels are what is being viewed here, they are still under the authority of God who makes his decree known. As such, what is the decree? The answer is that they would go down and confuse their language. 
Something to notice is that just as verse 6 correlated to verse 4, verse 7 correlates to verse um, 3. Just as the people spoke to one another in their singular language, said, come, let us make this, and come, let us make this. So God says, come, let us go down and confuse their language. As such, we see a reversal. They were able to build because they were of one language, and so God confuses their language so that they are unable to understand one another. Verse 8 deals with what we saw in verses 2 and 1. Um, verse 2, as we remember, dealt with their settling on the plain of Shinar. Now, however, we find them being dispersed across all the world. The city, which was meant to give them security to keep them from being scattered, ends up not being able to accomplish what they had hoped for. Finally, verse 9 reflects on verse 1, where we found that they had all one speech. Now the concluding remark is that their language is confused with the further emphasis of being scattered. In the further irony of the story, the name of the city is now called Babel, which corresponds with the Hebrew word Balal, which is, in our translations, become confused. Ultimately, God does what he commanded them to do. If the people wouldn't take the command to spread out over the earth seriously, then God would cause them to do it himself. Thus, the judgment of languages becomes the final judgment against humanity as a whole, one which we still feel the effects of even today. Um, along with this comes the reality of Babel, the name Babel being one which means what we use it for, babbling, when someone babbles. Um, and it's really interesting to consider back then, because Babylon was seen as the gate to heaven. And so the Jews were looking at Babylon, and they've always considered Babylon to be um, the, the epitome of human pride. And we find that in Revelation, when Babylon is used again to show pride. And so what they're saying, and what the text is reminding us of, is that even though Babylon is considered to be the epitome of all the ancient world, it's a small thing. In comparison to God. And ultimately not even Babylon. Is as good as who God is. So the main point of this story. Is to establish what happened with humanity. Again how is it that all these people groups. Came into existence with uh, with all of their own unique languages. The answer to this is found in the Babylonite story. The people attempted to make a name for themselves. By building up their city and their tower. Ultimately this flew in the face of God's commandment to them. Thus, instead of being obedient and faithful to God, humans continued on in their sinful tendencies. And as such, God judges them and scatters them himself, separating humanity by the languages which will lead to different cultures and peoples. All right, application points. The story of the Babylonians is something interesting to consider. In our own time, we merely feel the effects of the long-ago decision of humanity to continue on in their rebellion against God. From the Babylonians come the many different nations which have shaped the world for thousands of years. In truth, all the nations of the world currently descend from this Mesopotamian choice in some way. And even now we see the effects of a divided humanity. As it is, despite this ripple effect, which has occurred because of what occurred at Babel, we also see some other elements of Babel in our own time. The truth is, there are many bricks in the Tower of Babel. And while the physical city of Babel was abandoned for a time, the Tower of Babel remains something firmly entrenched in the hearts of men and women. 
What I mean by this is the very reasons for the building of the city and the building of the tower were for those who thought they could do better than God. They thought that they could provide more security for themselves than if they were to simply trust in God. They thought that they could make a name for themselves rather than first and foremost make a name for God um, and make his name great on the earth. If we talk of hubris, if we talk of pride, Perhaps there is no greater example than that found in Babel. But again, if we are honest with ourselves, we too experience the same hubris, the same pride in our own time. We believe we can do better than God in our lives. We each believe that we don't really need God. The best example I can give comes from conversations I've had with individuals at work. I have had many conversations with individuals who believe in God, but then don't go to church, for example. Why don't they go to church, I'll ask. Because in their minds, they can have community elsewhere, or they can worship God in whatever way they please. It's their relationship with God. That's all that matters. So this sounds nice at first, until you consider what is really being said. Throughout the New Testament, we are repeatedly reminded how we are in need of others. We are repeatedly reminded that to be like Christ, we are to serve one another. This does not mean simply serve anyone or to simply love anyone. Instead, we are called first and foremost to serve and love those who belong to Christ, those who belong to the church. Christ says to the disciples, they will know you belong to me because of your love for each other. And he also says, um, you love me, you show me that you love me by following my commandment. My commandment is this, that you love one another. Yet so many in our time take the Babel approach. They speak of being able to serve God and love him on their own. Yet Christ himself reminds us in his own life that such an idea is futile, for he loves us and sacrificed for his own, for his sheep, for those who call him Lord. He laid down his life for his friends, for those who believe. Thus, those who reject being part of a congregation and who seek their own way rather than the way of the scriptures or seek a different way than from the historical church find themselves at odds with what they claim to hold. They become like those in Babel. They build up their lives in great pride in being so wise and yet find themselves to lack wisdom. They build their walls and their tower by trying to secure themselves, yet they find no security. They think that they are doing what is right, getting themselves closer to heaven, and they're not coming close. Why? Because they lack faithfulness to what God has called them to do and called them to be. If they were doing what God had ordained for their lives, then they wouldn't hide away their gifts. They wouldn't run from the church, but would embrace the bride of Christ. They would seek to make the church better, holier, seeking to fill it with grace, peace, love, encouraging themselves and others to learn more about who God is and finding strength in the community which God brings together for his glory with these special gifts that we all have. But as it is, They become another example of Babel in our own time, becoming those who speak in confusion. Indeed, the Tower of Babel may have been abandoned, but it is still around. The pride, the hubris, the constant seeking to live without God, it continues today. The constant seeking to be better apart from what God tells us to be, and the constant thinking that we know better than God for our lives. We know better 
than what he wills for us. And we show it day by day as we live contrary to what he has simply called us to be in faith. How do we escape Babel? How do we escape from the situation we find ourselves in? Our pride is very great. Even we who are within the church can fall into this temptation to believe that it is what we do which will save us. Even we can fall into the temptation which says, I can do better all by myself. How do we stand against the calling of Babel, the calling of confusion? That is the question. Thankfully, the answer is readily available to us. In fact, in the New Testament, we see the example of a time before Babel, actually. Consider what we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and, hit, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, and each of us has his own, uh, his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Here, on the day of Pentecost, we find redemption from Babel. How do we come to a time when the human race is no longer trapped behind the walls? How do we come to a place when the human race can be reunited as before the fall, before the flood, before Babel? The answer is in Christ. Through Jesus, we are all ushered through the garden gate, renewed despite our brokenness, transformed despite our sin. The redemption from Babel comes because Christ redeems us, and through his blood, we become family again. We see this as we consider so many different people groups who come to the faith. When we consider believers in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, in Australia, wherever we go, we find brothers and sisters of the faith, people who do not speak our own native tongue, and yet are able to speak the language of Christ on the cross who died for their sins. Thus, through Christ, we are bound back together, and we can love each other as we were called to love, and we can glorify God together by being faithful to his son, Jesus. The way we destroy the works of Babel is by continually seeking faithfulness to God and what he has called of us, by being steadfast to stand firm against the resounding noise of the city and the tower of Babel. And to remember that the only way to make a name for ourselves, an everlasting name, is by uplifting the name of Jesus. Only by uplifting his name will we find a name for ourselves, and that name will be written into the book of life. For only those who are faithful are found there, and no one can take that name away.
So how does Babel relate to us today? Well, it relates to us again in many different ways. The first way is how we continually strive against God by relying on ourselves rather than God. Thus, it relates to our human pride that we would seek our own methods and means as a way to reach God and to live our lives rather than trust in him. Likewise, it relates to us when we consider our own world with the many different nations which we see in modern times and how such dissonance brings us back to the reality of where our pride ultimately leads. Finally, while it may be true that this judgment from God thus far in Genesis is the only judgment without any hope attached to it, we who are after Christ know that there is hope for the discord we find within our different people groups through the coming of Jesus. He redeems us from the judgment by placing all of us under his grace, redeeming all who come to him by faith. Therefore, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our native culture, native tongue, we who are in Christ belong to him and live under his sovereignty. Thus, there is hope for all because any can come to Christ by faith. My hope, then, is that we would all strive not for Babel, but for the kingdom of Christ. That each of us would lay down our pride, lay down our weapons which are pointed at God and his ways, and turn toward God in submission, knowing that he is the God and Lord of all, worthy to be followed, honored, obeyed, and glorified with all of our lives. Knowing, too, that our God is good, and he will lead us by his grace through faith now and forever. And so it is that we come to the gospel. And as we consider the gospel and this narrative of Babel, you know, we, I think we do see a few things, don't we? We see the origins of who we are today. Nations of different people groups, different tongues. And even though we were all created in the image of God, all of those who came after Noah still have the image implanted on them. Ultimately, we still have this fall happen. And the fall is a destruction of the human people group as a singular cohesive group and a scattering. And, you know, it's interesting. I brought forward earlier, you know, this, this idea of the Tower of Babel having many bricks. And part of it is our pride. And I talked about how, you know, all these conversations I have with people who say, okay, I don't need the church. I don't need to do any of this. And that's one of the bricks. But there's other bricks too. There's so much darkness in the world. There's so many people who think that they can do better without God in some way. That's another conversation that I I don't know if any of you have had, um, where I don't need God. I don't need him. I'm fine without him. If only they realized what they were saying, that without God, they wouldn't even have breath. (laughs) You need God. But that's part of the fall. And we see the origins of our of our broken societies there. We see the fall here in our pride. And even though we don't see the redemption in the story, it's because we live after Christ that we know redemption happens. It's because we've lived after Christ that we're able to see one people group under Jesus, no matter who you are. And that even those who we may think are so different from us, whether they be... Peruvians or Mexicans, Canadians. (laughs) You know, we think they're so different from us, but if they're in Christ, they're with us. 
And we belong to that. And that's the highest place we can be. And so there is redemption to be found even with the Tower of Babel. And it's found in Jesus. And ultimately, it's leading all of us who are in Christ further into his glory. Now, are we there yet? No. We still have our struggles with each other, don't we? Um, We still have struggles with people around us in our own nation, let alone other nations. And we still have struggles even with when it comes to our own beliefs. But we're all getting there if we're in Christ. We're all getting to a place where, you know what, all these things are going to be stripped bare. And even though we see God as through a mirror darkly now, we're going to come to a point when no mirrors, and we're only going to see God, and it's going to be wonderful. So as it is, seek to honor Christ and his kingdom. Don't seek Babel. The world has enough Babel. We don't need Babel anymore, both figuratively and literally. We need truth, we need God, and we need faithfulness to him. That is what will redeem us, and that is what God desires. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you continue to teach us through your word. And as we come to these points, when we continue to see how humanity keeps on tripping and stumbling over itself and keeps on doing the same things over and over and over again, Lord, we ask that you would give us strength. Because we know that you are able to overcome all the things that we always fall into. That through your grace, we are able to withstand the torrent of Babel. That we're able to walk away from the city and say, praise be to God. Let us go. Lord, we thank you for what you accomplished through the cross. And we thank you that through you, through your son Jesus Christ, we can all be identified again as one family of Christians of brothers and sisters of the faith. And Lord, we ask that the whole world would come to know your name and that it would start here with Westfield and with this church and with our friends and family of the church, our brothers and sisters in Westfield, that ultimately, even here, it starts where we all start praising your name. Thank you, Lord, for what you have accomplished. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please rise.